The founders of this great country never intended an overpowering federal government to control everything. They had a vision of free states united in commonalities, but independent enough to protect individual liberty. This was tested with the Civil War, for sure, but even then the idea was for states to work together, but to function with independence on most matters of life. As Western expansion passed the Continental Divide, the federal government grew more powerful and states became more servants of the nation than independent parts of it. Amazingly, over half of all land in Western states is controlled by the federal government. That's hard to imagine, but also true. Contrast with the reality that the feds control just about 5% of the Eastern United States. This has huge implications for our nation and our economy. So much of America is locked up on federal lands, and yet the federal government is not doing a very good job of maintaining this property. To better understand the problem, we've invited Jennifer Fielder, the CEO of the American Lands Council, along with Ken Ivory, my friend from the Utah legislature, who is also the ALC co-founder. For background, I heard Jennifer on a call not long ago explaining the problem. Jennifer served in the Montana State Senate. And I first heard about ALC from my friend, Utah State Representative Ken Ivory. I worked with Ken when I did a consulting project for the Utah Federal Funds Risk Commission. Welcome, Jennifer and Ken. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Kevin. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, let's start with you, Jennifer. What is the American Lands Council and what it's, is its purpose? Well, the American Lands Council is a nonprofit organization that is leading the charge for better access, health, and productivity on federally controlled lands. We are pursuing constitutionally sound, sustainable solutions for our federal lands that actually should be state-controlled lands. And um, we're, we, we consist of elected officials and resource experts, researchers, public land users, and other citizens that are serious supporters of improvement on public lands. Yeah, and you've been the CEO there since what, 2016, something like that? Uh, somewhere around there, yeah. Ken, Ken Ivory was the original president and CEO, and he turned the reins over to me a few years ago, and I've been trying to do the best I can and. Uh, to follow his footsteps ever since. Well, I think you're doing a terrific job. And Ken, you just got ranked. Matt Schlapp sent me an email talking about the top most conservative legislators across the country and in Utah in particular, and your name is at the top of the list. Congratulations. Well, thanks. We just try to do what's right and let the chips fall where they fall. And, you know, that's uh, it's getting harder and harder to do anymore. But uh, no, it's good. Uh, it's great to be recognized that way. Thank you. Yeah, well, you co-founded uh, the American Lands Council. Why did you do it? What was your motive? Yeah, you know, Kevin, in uh, 2011, when I was elected, everyone was talking about Utah was $2.5 billion be below average in per pupil funding. And some were suggesting tweak the tax code and that would be a 30 or a $40 million change. But when you look at something to deal with something that big, the only solution big enough was to look at this, uh, in Utah, 63% federally controlled land that is non-taxable. We only have 20% taxable land in Utah. So as we started to look in that at that, uh, county commissioners came together. They were uh, very concerned. We learned that our statehood promises are exactly the same for all the states east and west. Federal government just wasn't, wasn't honoring the same promise. So got together, they formed the American Lands Council, asked me to start uh, telling the story. 
Yeah, what, what if we just, let's take Massachusetts or some eastern state and let's just automatically, hey, you can only have 20% of your land taxable. You get to pick what 20%, but that's it. You can't tax anything more than that. They would be up in arms. Well, sort of like, you know, when Texas and Florida and others send immigrants into the Northeast uh, that have illegally come across the border and they, and they bust them in, all of a sudden immigration is a serious issue with them. Uh, but you're facing a real challenge there in the West. And, and it, I remember when we were talking, Ken, or early on we were talking, and you had me do this project because what if the federal government shut off funding? It was right around the time that we had a government shutdown and Utah had all the ski resorts and all the federal parks and everything else. So even those revenues were cut off. Yeah, 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 it was. Uh, very serious. In fact, the federal government... Put, put cones on the highway miles back so that you couldn't happen to drive by on the highway and see the beautiful things that God created. You mentioned other states, Kevin. Illinois was 98.5% federally controlled for more than five decades. Missouri, Florida, that you mentioned, Florida used to send resolutions to Congress saying we're the worst off of all the Western states because 90% of their land was controlled for decades. They did rally, they did mobilize, they did compel Congress to simply honor local care and management of their lands. Well, Jennifer, you, you listed you know, federal control. Are they, is the federal government the best steward of these lands? I mean, they're public lands. We all like public lands, but are they the best steward here? Well, by class on a scale, they are absolutely the worst. Uh, economically and environmentally, the federal government is the worst landlord. Uh, states are outperforming the federal government economically by 10 to 1 or better on average with when it comes to public land management. State forests are healthier. They're more fire resilient. We get into those lands and take good care of them when they need to be taken care of. And the federal government has basically put hundreds of millions of acres into what we call a lock it up and let it burn status. It's it's absolutely insane how they are destroying our environment and how they're threaten, threatening our communities by allowing these wildfires to rage out of control in the high fire season right towards our mountain communities. And they really could prevent this with proper vegetation management. Um, they can't prevent every single fire, but they could get on the fires a lot faster than they do. Uh, for example, we often have little fires start by lightning uh, in the summertime in the Rocky Mountains, and it might be a one or two acre fire by the time it's discovered. And the federal government will take and draw a huge circumference around that, maybe 10, 20, 30, even 50 miles around that little one acre. And they'll say, OK, we're going to fight it from 20 miles away. And they'll literally allow it to either burn that entire 20 mile radius. I'm, I'm sorry, I said 20 acres. I meant 20 miles. They'll allow it to either burn that 20 mile radius or they'll go in and, and actually intentionally burn it. Even if the fire goes out on its own, they'll light more of it on fire because they had this administrative intent to burn this major area. No, it's the worst of bureaucracy. It's neglect. Uh, it's weaponized. I mean, they t tend to be using the federal lands for political purposes rather than uh, for the good of the American people. All of these are, are terrible things that we have from federal mismanagement of lands. And they, the federal government was never designed or intended by the Constitution to deal with this. So we're going to need to take a break. When we come back, let's dive further into the problem, and then we'll talk about some of the solutions. We're talking with the American Land Council, the co-founder and the current CEO, uh, and we're talking about how our federal lands have been mismanaged. Now, I want to make it clear. No one here is talking about 
privatizing and selling off these lands. We're talking about maintaining beautiful public lands for the benefit of the public. And we've got these states that are overwhelmingly controlled by the federal government and they're mismanaging them. So here's an example. J Jennifer, you showed me a photo. Okay, we'll bring that up. Tell us about what we see in this picture. Well, you have a, a forest. It's not too far outside of the capital city of Helena, Montana. And the, there's a property line that divides this, the ownership right down the center of this, this picture. And you can see on the left side, the forest is mostly dead, diseased, dying timber. And on the right side, you see a more healthy forest. The difference is not climate change. The difference is management. The left side is owned and controlled by the federal government. It's been neglected and it's become an extremely high fire risk. It's a huge um, a, a, excuse me, it's a huge liability, both economically and environmentally. And in com contrast, you see the locally con controlled side of that picture. And because it's a healthy working forest that's been periodically logged, it's had timber managed on it, it's healthier, it's more resilient to wildfire, and it's actually an asset, both economically and environmentally. So, Ken, why would Utah be better at managing these lands than the federal government? Uh, yeah, Kevin, we don't have enough time to go into that, but uh, it, it's very simple, right? Um, what Jennifer was talking about is not an isolated incident. You can find that line and forest with that line all over the western United States. If we simply manage the forest properly, then instead of having 300 gallons a day suck, sucking up into trees just to burn, you'd have watersheds. We could fill, <clears throat> excuse me, we could fill the Great Salt Lake every five years just from the water that would run off from a properly managed forest. The animals that are killed, there are millions of animals that are killed in, in every fire that burns. They estimate 20 to 30 animals per acre burned alive, and then the habitat for endangered species are, are burned alive. This is one of the greatest preventable environmental crises in, in our nation, and it just simply involves proper management instead of the federal management where they manage the forest for maximum combustion. Well, given all this, why is it that conservatives are taking the pro-environment position and, and not environmentalists? Well, for my area, it's mostly the people that live out in the rural areas are seeing what's actually going on. And the people that live in the rural areas tend to be more conservative. Um, there are liberals out here, but um, mostly it's conservative people and they see what's going on and they, they see the nonsense of allowing these fires to rage out of control and threaten our communities instead of managing the vegetation and putting them out. Um, when you really look at what's going on with the environmental movement in this country, if you would follow the money and see where it's going and where it's uh, having an impact or not having an impact, I think you'll, you'll find some pretty astounding answers. And the money that's going into the environmental movement is not protecting our environment in a meaningful way. It's being used for political purposes. I think it's being used for economic warfare in a large uh, regard. I think that there's uh, foreign interests that are fueling and funding the environmental movement in our country to stop good production uh, for our country, things that are good for our environment and our economy and our communities. 
And that's the point. Conservatives actually, by definition, want to conserve things, including our environment. We want clean water. We want clean air. We want public lands that we can use. We're not just greedy wanting to take over things. In fact, Ken, you were mentioning if we were to adopt a a gradual transfer of public lands like you're, you're espousing, it would be beneficial, not detrimental to the health of the economy. Yeah, yeah, not just beneficial. This would be the greatest economic renaissance on par since the Louisiana Purchase. Kevin, we're actually talking about 30% more land than the Louisiana Purchase that is locked up, like Jennifer said, it's locked up in a museum left to die. So our forests are burning at the rate of 10 million acres a year. And so now watersheds are destroyed. The forest that purifies the air, the number one source of PM 2.5 pollution Wildfire. It's the uh, emissions from wildfires that are like lighting an oil refinery on fire. So, no, we we live here, and those whose lives and livelihoods depend upon the the, the care and quality of the land, they know how to care for the land. But when you get uh, managers in from New Jersey and New York that are here for 18 months and rotated out, our, our lands are really being loved to death. They're being destroyed, and and environmentally alone. This is a catastrophe that isn't completely preventable. Yeah, nobody wants to live in an apartment building that's managed from 1,000 or 5,000 miles away. They want the property manager on site, living with them, seeing whether the power's out or, or there's problems with the plumbing or whatever. And I think that's the basic simple story, is that you want your property manager to be living among you on site. And I think that's, that's a very simple story. Well, Canada did it. They realized that you tend to get better decisions when they are made by people closer to the subject matter. So Canada actually devolved management and control of the crown lands to the territorial and provincial government. So their lands are actually more locally managed than the lands in the United States are. Here's what I'm scared about. Uh, Ken, I mentioned earlier, we worked together on an economic risk analysis, uh, a report for the state of Utah. It came out, this is January 2016, and we talked about how in-debt the federal government is. My fear is that if you want to see these lands sold off for the pennies on the dollar, it would be the federal government when they run out of the ability to borrow, and so they start doing a fire sale of the assets the federal government controls in order for the politicians in Washington to keep spending money and buying favors and votes. That's my big fear. Utah would never stand for the idea of privatizing all of the the federal lands there and trying to make money, or Montana or any of the western states, would they? Yeah, yeah, Kevin, uh, as usual, you're way ahead of the game. That's already happening now. There was a BLM rule that was put out the end of March that was a conservation rule. And, And so what they're doing is they're now leasing the lands to NGOs that are the same NGOs that that uh, funded campaigns and are working for certain interests. They're leasing the lands for non-use. And so when they when they control the land for non-use, there's something called natural asset companies. They now list them on the New York Stock Exchange. The World Economic Forum was behind in pushing this. They lease the land for non-use so that now then they have control to sell carbon credits, sell environmental offsets because of the mandates to not use the land and then track the social cost of greenhouse gas. What happens when China wants to come in and buy those lands? They'll put their windmills up or whatever. They'll make it sound like it's green, but they'll really be a takeover of the United States. We need to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk solutions. 
Ken, we've been talking about all this, and, and what role would like the World Economic Forum and the globalist elitists have in this land management issue? Yeah, so Kevin, this is the next big thing. The reason we have decarbonization, the reason that we have ESG, it's all pushing toward this latest big financialization of nature, the commoditization of nature. So there's an order, Biden's first executive order, 14008, lock up the land, decarbonize, then track the social cost of greenhouse gas. Then you had the SEC tier one, two, three rule to track all of the carbon emissions from all of the companies. Well then now with this, this Bureau of Land Management BLM rule, they now have the ability to lease nature for non-use for conservation to sell the carbon credits back. And World Economic Forum, BlackRock and others, they're estimating that this market, the financialization, commoditization of nature is in the thousands of trillions of dollars. The next big financial uh, takeover that, that we'll end up having to buy uh, nature credits back. Yeah, that's like selling indulgences from the church so that you can continue to sin. Oh, what a scam. It's horrible. So, Jennifer, what does the American Lands Council propose that we do to solve this? Well, the primary path forward is to compel the federal government to relinquish control of these lands. It is not it's not constitutional for the federal government to retain all these lands inside of the states forever and ever. The American Lands Council is working on two major pathways forward. One is a um, litigation path, and the state of Utah has really been leading out on this, and that is to bring the case to the U.S. Supreme Court and answer the question, can the federal government really control all these lands inside the states forever and ever and ever? We believe all of the evidence says no, they can't. Um, the American Lands Council is working on a piece of companion legislation that would give Congress a clear, simple, win-win path to be able to start transferring land to the states it would allow the states to acquire land as they're ready and willing to take on new areas responsibly so the states can acquire these areas at their own pace. And this piece of federal legislation that we are proposing would require promises to keep it public, to be kept. It would require the debates about what the land will be used for and how it will be managed to happen in the state houses under um, open legislative processes. And then the states would be required uh, to manage and administer the land for the purposes in which they acquire it. And it would also importantly strengthen local voices and give local governments a meaningful seat at the table with their state in determining best management practices and plans for how the natural resources and the, the public lands inside that county should be managed and which areas should be prioritized for conservation, watershed protection, recreation, industrial uses such as logging or grazing, those types of things. It really strengthens the excuse me, the local voice in land management and puts the decisions closer to home where they actually belong, where people can make better decisions. And if they're not making good decisions, those people are going to feel it and they're going to adjust. Right now, we have nothing but a one-size-fails-all federal bureaucracy controlling from Washington, D.C., these millions of acres in the West. They're doing a terrible job. It's leading to all kinds of environmental destruction, economic problems, as well as social strife. So I hear three-pronged three approach. 
you're going to go to Congress, which are the people's representatives. You're going to go to the courts, the Supreme Court in particular, and then you're going to go to the people, which I love. And you're working with the states to do it because any power not specifically given to the federal government is reserved for the states or the people. And Ken, that's what I love about what you're doing in Utah. I'm coming back to you. I want to talk to you at some point about our proposal for state-based money that the founders left in, gold and silver, and how we can make it practical and modern. Because you did great work in Utah, and you created the Utah Legal Tender Act, and I've got a beautiful one-ounce silver coin sitting on my wall here at Liberty Hawk Ranch, and I love it except it's not transactional. I can't take that down to my Starbucks and buy a cup, well, I wouldn't go to Starbucks, but I can't take it down to the local coffee shop and buy a cup of coffee and shave off a piece of that silver coin and, or, or, or give it to them and get change back. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. We've got a plan for Utah I'll bring to you. I want you to help us get it through. We're taking it to Texas and Oklahoma and all these other states because we've got to return power to the states and the people as the Constitution intended. Comments? Yeah. yeah, you know, that's what Jennifer, Jennifer mentioned, voice, the voice of the American people. And if they don't control their land, their liberty, which is our property and the way we transact that in money, uh, George Sutherland, our, the one and only Utah Supreme Court judge from Utah said, man has three great rights. They're so tied together as to be just a single right, you know, life, liberty, property. He said, if you give a man his life, but you take away liberty, you take away all that makes life worth living. If you give him the liberty, but you take away the property, which is the fruit and the badge of his liberty, you still leave him a slave. We're, we're right where all of the, the states from Florida to Arkansas to, to Illinois to Indiana, they were 90% federally controlled for five decades. They have the exact same terms of statehood for the disposal of public lands as the Western states do. And so we're, we're gonna take that to the courts does the, does the federal government really have the right to retain these lands forever? We don't think so. They didn't, they didn't claim that, Kevin, until 1976. 1976, they said it's now our policy to retain these lands. Never mind the Constitution, never mind the solemn enabling acts of the states. It's now our policy to retain the lands and manage them for maximum combustion. We're going to challenge that. And, uh, you know, it, it really is, as you mentioned, a lot. in the states is where the people have the voice. That's where that's where those whose lives and livelihoods depend upon the land have the ability to have that input. Right now, they, you've got bureaucrats managing things from thousands of miles away. The people have no voice in the management of 640 million acres of land. There were a lot of bad decisions made in the 1970s, uh, leaving the gold standard temporarily, Nixon said, in 1971. We had bad Supreme Court decisions that have recently been overturned regarding life, and, and these were bad decisions of the 70s, just like we had bad decisions right around 1913 when we took the state's voice away and the popular election of senators took its place. But I, I love what you're doing. I love with the American Lands Council. How can we get the word out better? Where do people go that they can learn more? And how can people donate if they want to support your good cause? Thank you. Our website is AmericanLandsCouncil.org. And there's three buttons on our front page. One, sign the petition. Two, take action and three, become a member. All three of those are very important. We invite supporters to join us officially and become a member so you can actually be part of the movement and be involved in helping us to make this happen. We've got to get local control 
of federal lands so that we can have healthy air, water, and wildlife, abundant outdoor recreation access, and safe, vibrant communities under federal control. We are too often getting just the opposite. So AmericanLandsCouncil.org, we sure would appreciate your help. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Ken. God bless you both. You know, we work on issues like this all the time, economic warfare, and that's what this is. And you can learn more about the American Lands Council and our free economic battle plan. You can get your copy at economicwarroom.com. What we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.